0: Welcome to Fine-Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, And Mr. Taylor and I, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can now listen to on the Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, he and I are recording this week's show early on Sunday morning, December 31st. So tell me that that you and Katie have something interesting going on for, for New Year's Eve.
1: We don't have anything interesting going on, but it's by design, Jim, because I had my my mother here all week. So we did the WB Studio tour. We went to the Academy Museum. We were running around all all day. So we are really excited to do absolutely nothing today and tomorrow.
0: That's our that's our plan. All right, that 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 sounds like a goal. Uh I'm actually heading out sometime in the next couple of hours for a, a family uh New Year's uh, New Year's uh Eve afternoon party. I I think because uh there are two small boys and I think one is 6 and one is not even a year old at this point. Uh, party will probably break up around six, but I'm, I'm making a lasagna, but, but to double back to your week. So you did the Warner brothers, uh, backstage tour there, which I, Nancy has done. I have not. Uh, what did we think?
1: Uh, it was it was interesting, although we had an absolutely terrible tour guide. I'm very comfortable in saying that she was uh. just the worst. And uh, yeah, I need to write a strongly worded email to those folks. See if I can get my money back because yeah, it was it was not great. Wow! But um, you know, it's it was fun. Uh, the Academy Museum, I was really impressed by Jim. Next time you come out, we got to go.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, it was
1: really interesting.
0: Now, I, I remember when they were launching it, they they had the footage of the animation section and just the maquettes that were on display were like, OK, I got to get there. You yeah,
1: know, it I was mean- it was probably the most popular section of the entire museum was the animation section, which I think says a lot, even though animation is completely ghettoized in the industry. It is, mm. uh, you know, a big draw and it was really, really fascinating. So, yeah.
0: Well, it's so interesting you say that because, again, uh, you know, if if we pivot to what's going on in the box office right now, now, you yourself have been a great enthusiast for uh, migration. And in fact, I've heard from a number of folks uh, over the past week or so about how this may actually be illumination's best, you know, that, that, you know, it's just, it's that good, but... If we pivot to what it's doing box office wise, um, this one just didn't connect for some reason, or hasn't connected yet. I mean, we got forty three million dollars domestic, t- just twenty two million overseas, a box office total of sixty six. And, and and you and I have talked about on the show about it, nobody is better. Then Illuminations, it's stretching a dollar, delivering, delivering a really good movie at a relatively – a really good-looking movie I, I, at a relatively low price point. But uh I, they can't be happy with these numbers.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I have heard that there is some thought within Universal that it'll play over the holiday. And mm-hmm. there's just so little out there right now that just by process of elimination <laughs> that – migration will make more money but uh, yeah it's really disappointing because the movie is really really great I recommend everybody going out and see it seeing it on the biggest screen possible because it is really beautiful but um okay. Okay. yeah I don't okay. know we'll we'll see if it gets the Oscar nomination that could help bump it up as well mm-hmm. but yeah
0: well I mean I I think we, we've had this conversation repeatedly over the past couple of months you know this will eventually show up on peacock and people will find it then. Uh, you know, but at, at the same time, it, it this has got to be frustrating. So,
1: I think it actually is is frustrating for the entire industry because there needs to be new animated features and new animated franchises being launched, and if they keep having this problem with original mm-hmm. titles, that they're getting very nervous. Um, you know, the the biggest one next year, obviously, is Wild Robot. So, yeah, all eyes are on wild robot now, Jim. Mm,
0: I get that, and I do um though uh, that said, um you know uh, we'll be talking in a few moments about you know what's going on with wishes, which has also been equally challenged going out the door there um what do you make of what's been happening with wonka? I mean that i mean uh, that seems to have grabbed the holiday box office. Uh, for families this year.
1: Yeah, they seem sort of surprised by it. I just saw uh, before we signed on that it's actually going to make more money than Aquaman this weekend, which they were oh. surprised by. Um, yeah, I mean, Paul King is great. You know, we we have been charting the fact that he was supposed to do the Pinocchio remake, uh, not Robert Zemeckis. And then he dropped out to do Wonka instead. And uh, we all know how that Zemeckis Pinocchio movie turned out. Um, <sighs> yeah, so you know, the king, he's the king, Jim.
0: Yeah, and but at the same time, did you 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 see the interview he did in regard to, uh, you know, it said two Paddingtons was enough. You know that that you know that, well, evidently there's so many Paddington books, they could make you know Paddington 100, but it was like no, it was time to do something else. So yeah, uh, but. All right, uh, speaking of time, uh, we have to get to the news now. So I should remind you folks that the news portion of fine-tuning is brought to you by touringplans.com. Uh, Touring plans help you save time and money at theme parks like Walt Disney World. So please check them out at touringplans.com. Okay, so... <sighs> all right, we, we were talking about what's going on uh, you know, it's theatrically with animation. On the other hand... Uh, I to circle back to your question about we need new franchises and that sort of thing, when you look at what's going on over at Netflix with, with things like, you know, the new Adam Sandler, uh, you know, Maury, I, I, Leo, I, Leo, so close, I know uh, a Maury, I know a Leo, alright, but Leo is doing great, you know, uh, continues to do great numbers, continues, you know, people talk it up, and uh, is is there any concern about this that, that you know, animation, uh, you know, much like the the romantic comedy, uh, you know, sort of, you know, had started to have trouble on the big screen and then sort of moved to cable and Hallmark? Yeah, I mean,
1: I think that animation, especially aimed at younger audiences, is such a great fit for streaming because they can mm. rewatch it over and over again and the you know the the filmmakers behind Leo said that that was one of the draws of going to Netflix it wasn't it was a movie developed by STX before it moved to to Netflix and when it did they were all very excited because Jim you remember yeah you had a young child at one point that would wear out their VHS copy of Aladdin um you know yeah. so yeah it, it, it's interesting and and they have a great slate this year there's a lot of great streaming stuff. I think it'll be interesting to see those Pixar movies come into theaters and see what they do, um, starting in Disney Plus and then going to theaters uh, later this month and in, into the spring.
0: Yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm I'm fascinated by that, and and like I said, you know, at the very least want to get out there and see soul on the big screen, you know, that, that, that uh, again had amazing visuals on the flat screen here at home, but I wanted to see them big. Um, I I guess the other thing that that's kind of intriguing, you talk about how streaming when it comes to animation is, you know, uh, doing particularly well with the younger demographic. But when you look at someplace like Fox and how, uh, they seem to actually be doubling down on their adult animation, uh, you know, the the animation domination block. Uh, in fact, weren't they trying earlier this year to get a second night going? Um, oh,
1: I don't know what, what night was it supposed to be?
0: Well, that was the weird part that that I I initially heard that it was going to be Monday. In fact, uh, Grimsburg when it was first walked out and Krapopolis, Uh, You know, the notion was that, you know, they had this slate of already established shows on Sunday, Uh, Simpsons, Family Guy, Bob's Burgers and uh, what is it? The Far North? Um, Blanking the name there. But but the notion was that we can get a second night of these things going. Now, mind you, obviously, that there was another agenda there. I mean, we were still in the middle of the writer's strike and the. Uh, you know the uh, the actor strike, and, and the notion was that all right, at least with animation, you know the pipeline is is far enough out that you know we can deliver product. Um, you know, and and what's interesting is some of these things run for quite a while. I mean, mm-hmm. we just last month uh, had the a series finale for for Archer uh, out into the cold. And uh, did you get to see that? I can, uh, no, I,
1: I, I, I was writing about it because I had no idea that they were doing that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they said that the finale was, you know, in October or whenever the se- the actual season ended. So I thought it was interesting that they did this kind of it was almost a movie. It was three episodes aired back to back. It was.
0: It was.
1: You know what I finally did watch, Jim, was uh, the Venture Brothers movie, which I thought was absolutely terrific. I don't know oh, if you've the, seen it Oh, the yet.
0: heart of the... the...
1: Blood, uh, Radiant is the blood of the baboon heart. There
0: we go. There yeah. we go. All right. And and, <laughs> and, you watched enough of those to be able to follow along because that show has <laughs> quite an elaborate storyline. It does. But I
1: thought that the the finale, the movie kind of wrapped everything up and reestablished it all in a really uh, effective way. Way I thought it was so good. Did you watch it yet, Jim?
0: I did. I did. And 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 again, you know that. In that fact, I have my 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 uh, wonderful Ken Plume book, the the art of the Ventures Brothers down in the basement. And I am hoping that uh, you know Ken gets the opportunity to sort of refresh keying out because there was some cool stuff for the done for the movie. Yeah,
1: there really was.
0: Yeah, but I, you know, I I guess that's what's fascinating for me because even the Archer people and the Venture Brother people sort of insinuated like, look, yes, just if we say this is the series finale, but of course this is animation and, you know, if in five to, or, or so years people want more of these, we can of course get the band back together. Um, and and yet, you know, if we, we pivot back to streaming again, we look at something like Central Park, again, a lovely show uh, you know, and co-created by a friend of the show, Josh Gad. But um, again, that there was the algorithm driven decision that we have three seasons worth of episodes, and that's enough. You know, we're done. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I guess that's what's fascinating now is there seem to be so many different, uh, you know, uh, ways that you know decisions are made in regard to whether it's an adult animated series or whether it's a an animated series that's perceived for the family market or for that matter, for kids. Um, and I I, I bring this up because Drew this weekend when we were uh you know uh, getting ready to do this week's show, you directed me to the Lost Media Archive uh the, the website. Um. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it, it, you know. Don't get me wrong. There were so many fascinating stories related to shows that stayed on the air for for quite some time, or, or movies that did finally make it into theaters. But to go through the list of shows over there uh, that didn't, you know, uh, you know, some of them went a, a great distance before they 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 stumbled and fell. They'd, did you have a favorite there in the pile or?
1: Well, what I, I don't know if I had a favorite, but the thing that I thought was most fascinating was that they had actual character art from a proposed DreamWorks animation version of Spamalot, the Monty Python uh, stage production that uh, was absolutely. I mean, did you know that this was
0: being worked on, Jim? Well, you know, it's it's so interesting that you said it because it again, if we, you know, you know, uh, uh, DreamWorks, you know, I, I think of as, you know Katzenberg, Spielberg, and Geffen, and if we go all the way back to when Stephen had his own animation studio, Amblimation, of uh, the artwork for the animated version of Cats. I mean, uh, Stephen seems to you know have an interest in bringing Broadway shows, uh, you know. Uh, to the screen. I mean, what was it? Just last year, we we got his his take on West Side Story, but but Spamalot, yeah, that was a surprise, especially what with it back on Broadway uh, just this mm-hmm. season. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't think I ever heard anything out in public about that. Um, so yeah. you know, uh, I I wonder what tripped it up.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the other interesting thing is that there's a lot of art from. Um, a proposed Casper complete, completely animated Cla- Casper feature, which I reached out to friends at DreamWorks, and they've said that's always something that's on the table. So you know, it's it's interesting that it got close a couple of times, um, but didn't happen. Uh, and then the other thing for Disney fans, uh, they have this really cool piece of test animation from my people's uh, that was an integration test yeah. that mixed the cg toy characters with 2d uh characters and 2d backgrounds and i thought it was absolutely gorgeous it, and
0: it, 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 yeah. trust me if you hammer i mean the the problem is that you have to hammer on all of the names that were used for my peoples, uh, you know, there. What was it? A few good ghosts. Few good ghosts. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm blanking mm-hmm. the other ones, but uh, there are probably. And now, mind you, it depends on whether Disney Legal is being particularly aggressive. Um, but I there's about ten or fifteen pieces of test animation for my peoples that have made it out there online, and it it does kind of break your heart to look at it because it was. It, it, the very thing you talk about, it was supposed. It was the grand experiment. It was going to mix 2D with CG. Uh, it, you know, uh, and you know that I, I don't know if you caught uh, who was voicing the grandma in the, the little grandma doll in that scene. Um, no, who was it. That's a little Lily Tomlin, and oh. it, and it had a killer. Voice cast. I mean, Dolly Parton was going to, well, oh, by the way, that's the other name. You need to Google the project, Angel and Her No Good Sister. Uh, That's
1: right. That was the other one. Yeah.
0: Dolly Parton was going to voice Angel. Uh, And uh, then there was my favorite, my absolute favorite character out of this thing was uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, voiced by Hal Holbrook. And, but it was Abraham, the, the, the concept of the CG characters is they were all folk art. Uh, in fact, that was kind of the conceit of the movie. They were going to look different than the hand-drawn characters in the film because they were folk art. They were folk art that had come to life. So, you know, you could buy that, all right, you know, the, 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 that doll stands out in a different way from the, the old man that she's interacting with by the truck. Uh, but the cool thing about the Abraham Lincoln figure is it was a hairbrush. The 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 bristles in the hairbrush were Abraham Lincoln's beard, and uh, but Hal Holbrook was. You know Abraham Lincoln set loose in a farmyard, so every so often he would get the mind to go and emancipate the chickens. you know the effect like, you're free, you're free and i i mean it was it was really funny and well written and uh and and but at the same time it it came at a time when Disney was doing stuff at the box office that was just not connecting and uh you kind of, know kind of the famous. You know, uh, meeting in October of of you know uh, two thousand three, where they basically went down and said, Hey, you know, we're shutting the studio, and you know, uh, and here we are. You know, I, in fact, that that's I guess the thing that sort of concerns me about what's going on right now. That I'm you know that weren't you saying that that Disney has upwards of like ten projects in the works right now or uh, in development?
1: Yeah, I mean, we none of them have been officially announced yet, but. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Okay. E- also, the movie was known as Once in a
0: Blue Moon
1: and Elgin's People. There we go. Uh, there we go. So. I
0: know it just it, it was a charmer, and it would have been. I mean, I, I, again, there there's a number of folks, uh, you know, at Disney who honestly feel like it was a mistake for a couple of reasons. The shutdown feature animation in Florida. I mean, first and foremost, it was the only thing left at that theme park, you know, that was actually made movies. You know, you could go in and see stuff being made. Um, But if you look at Mulan, you look at Lilo and Stitch, uh, you know, they were making interesting movies there. And in fact, there's a number of folks who believe that um, if they had been left alone, they would have produced a much better version of Brother Bear. Uh, But, you know, then... You know, once Lilo and Stitch and Mulan made money, you know, people in California it's like, ooh, you know, um, <laughs> I need to get my hand in there. And, you know, that that that's when things started to go off the track. But it would have been lovely if they had been left alone because they were producing movies for a third less than, you know, uh, it cost to make movies out in California. And their stuff was connecting. So, um
1: Anyway, speaking and this is the let me just t- let me just tell everybody that the account is Lost Media Busters on X formerly known as Twitter and they've got a bunch of great stuff up there including stuff from an abandoned Blue's Brothers show that was supposed to be on the UPN mm. uh concept art from Robert Zemeckis's uh Yellow Submarine remake for Disney oh, just dang. a bunch of great stuff. No, I, I, uh, they posted an animatic for from Larrikins. um You know, so check it out.
0: And uh, speaking of of Disney, and we were just talking about what's going on with Wish, I thought we'd we'd take the opportunity on today's show to uh, take a look at at villains, uh, especially singing villains in the Disney films. Uh, But before we do that, we have this. And we're back. Okay, so we were just talking about uh, Disney's Wish, uh, which, again, this was the the big Disney 100 project and sort of, uh, you know, very, you know, uh, through the might and, and power of the Disney company behind it, still hasn't quite done what Disney had hoped. I want to say I was looking at the box office numbers this morning, and I want to say it's at 69 domestic, 89 overseas, worldwide, 148. Um, but again, it, as as during so
1: that, that's probably a hundred less than its production budget. Uh, and common wisdom is to break even, you've got to do three times your production budget.
0: And I, I, you know, it was kind of depressing to I was with Nancy and Coles just the other day and to walk by the already at 50% off merch for, uh, for Wish. You know, it's just sort of like, okay, this didn't connect, you know, the, the, get it out the door. Um, though not for lack of trying. I mean, you know, remember prior to this arriving at theaters around Thanksgiving, Disney did a very big push uh, to, to get the, the you know, uh, especially when it came to the songs that, that, that Benj- Benjamin Rice and Julia Michaels had written for it. And we, of course, had the, the big, uh, you know, I want the, uh, the I wish number. But the other thing that, that got a lot of push was King Magnifico's song. This is the thanks I get uh, that I, I thought Chris Pine did a nice job with. Um, oh yeah, he's the best. Okay, but but it got me thinking about Disney villains and especially singing Disney villains, and how this—I mean, look—Disney's been making animated features with incredibly memorable villains since uh, since thirty-seven. You know, with with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and uh, you know, Snow White got to sing, and and the dwarves got to sing, and even the prince got this sing, but. But the, the evil queen and uh, and the crone did not. Though, aren't, aren't we hearing for the live action uh, that Snow White doesn't, uh, Gail Godot, she gets a number as the queen, right?
1: That's the rumor. Hopefully it's better than her version of Imagine Jim that she released over the <laughs> pandemic. Oh, 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 you're mean. Okay. <laughs> That's the only thing that we hope. All right.
0: But... <laughs> Well, what was interesting, for the longest time, the villains did not sing in, in Disney's animated features. You know, I mean, Lady Tremaine doesn't sing. You know, that, that Cinderella sings and the, the, the helpful mice sing, but and, and even um, the, the, the fairy godmother. And in fact, what's so interesting, that fairy godmother is voiced by Verna Felton. And the very next year, I mean, Cinderella came out in 1950. In 1951, Uh, Disney put out its long in development, uh, animated version of Alice in Wonderland. And finally, we got our first Disney villain, uh, who, who sang, uh, now just to be clear here, uh, want to be sure to acknowledge, uh, Ichabod and Mr. Crane, which I want to say came out in 48. And uh, Brom Bones does get to sing in that. But again, we're talking about features rather than the package movies. But um, there is a number in Alice in Wonder called Painting the Roses Red. And uh, Vernif Felton, who did, uh, who did the Red Queen in that movie, gets to sing a couple of lines in the song. But, but again, it's, this is Disney sort of creeping up. On the idea of singing villains, and when we get to to nineteen fifty three, uh, Peter Pan, same thing. We we Hans Conried is able that they, they give him a couple of verses in the elegant Captain Hook, um, but it's only uh, in nineteen fifty five with uh, Lady and the Tramp with Sian and Am, the 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 two Siamese cats who who make ladies life so difficult in that film. They get a whole song. They get We Are Siamese. Nothing problematic about that song. Well kid. no, I, I was about to has... say, didn't when they did the live act wasn't it Lady in the Tramp one of the very first things the live action uh version, wasn't that the very first one of the very first things to be shown on Disney Plus and science?
1: Yeah, it was there on November
0: 12th mm-hmm. uh 20
1: Whatever it was, twenty nineteen. Yeah, you
0: know. and for that version, there is no cyanam. There is, you know, that that uh, okay, we, you know, that, you know, I it, don't get me wrong. That the song was written by Peggy Lee. Um, actually performed by her in the original film, but uh, you know, what's acceptable has changed since '55, so. Anyway, uh, moving on, uh, by the time we got to 1961 and 101 Dalmatians, we now have to now start to have songs about our villains. And so we got Cruella de Vil with that film. And then in 1963 uh, with Sword in the Stone, uh, we got Mad Madam Mim. We got Martha Wentworth uh, singing a, you know, a comic number about that character that the Sherman Brothers had written. Uh, but then, you know, we, we got this sort of stretch of movies where it's like, eh, I, it doesn't make sense for the villain to sing. The villain is the villain. Uh, and even then, uh, if we jump ahead 12 years to, oh, uh, excuse me, 10 years, to Robin Hood, uh, we have the Phony King of England number by Phil Harris. And, uh, you know, and that's... <laughs> that's the infamous one where it's it's uh, how many different animated dance scenes is that thing stitched together from it's the yeah oh, god you know, snow white dancing with the dwarves and king yeah. louis dancing with with baloo yep. and uh yeah i, I mean I, in fact i think they actually even culled animation from uh the animated film that came just before it, the aristocats and just sort of stitch that all together yep um all right so, um, it's only in 1985 where we get the first of the Eisner Katzenberg era animated films that we start to get villains singing, you know, as villains. And, and that's where we got the Ratigan song, uh, with, you know, sung, uh, well, still
1: singing about Ratigan. They are, though, they right? are,
0: but, but, but again, he's yeah. front and center and, um, Starting in 89 is when we really sort of enter the, the the age of great villain songs. And and that, of course, is Poor Unfortunate Souls uh, done by Pat Carroll for The Little Mermaid and just redone in the past year or so by Melissa McCarthy for the live-action Rob Marshall version of The Little Mermaid. And I, again, it's... You know, it, it, the difference, though, is that this song... Is written by uh, Howard Ashman and an Alan Menken, and um, and, and I know Drew, you've watched um, you know that that presentation that that uh, Alan excuse me Howard did for all of the animators at, at Disney Studios when he was introducing the score of The Little Mermaid to them and and walking them through what each of the songs were and how they carried the plot and that sort of thing. And so this was a classic sort of Broadway number. Um, And mermaid was so successful that, you know, uh, you know, beauty and the beast, which at that time was, was still being directed by Richard Purdom. And was a, it it was a basically a straight film, right? I mean, it was just uh, no music. I mean, there would have been an incidental score in the background, but no songs.
1: I think that we have figured out that the Purdom, the decision to cancel the Purdom version actually happened during the junket for the Little Moon yeah, in Florida. Yeah. I think that I have talked to you about this and tried. we've tried to nail down the date, but that is when everybody was in Florida at the same time that watched that footage, including Howard, who said,
0: this this ain't working and so they they made the call you know and but but what was interesting up until that point in fact if you look at the the early uh concept art for that version the purdom version of beauty and the beast gaston's a fop i mean periwig and you know uh you know you know just you know dressed in, in 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 finery And when they, you know, uh, you know, when it's now time to do the musical version, uh, he's, you know, kind of the village thug, you know, the 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 hunter, you know, that sort of thing. And you you again, you get a wonderful comic Broadway number with Gaston and and with Richard White doing an amazing job with that. And what's interesting is on the heels of how successful the villain songs were in um in The Little Mermaid and Beast. There was a lot of pressure on Aladdin to give the uh the villain uh, a, a song. And in fact they, they had deliberately hired Jonathan Freeman, who had just been uh I want to say nominated for a a Tony in his uh, his work in the revival of She Loves Me, and it's like this guy's got a great verse and you know, a great voice, and he's wonderful with lyrics. And we got to give him a comic song, and that they, they they actually wrote two for the show, you uh, or, or, or for the film. They wrote Why Me, and then uh, I don't know if you uh, you know any of the, the the stories about Humiliate the Boy, but it was the the very last song. That uh, you know Howard Ashman wrote the lyrics for before we lost him, and there's always been a lot of folks who sort of look at the lyrics of that and and how it's Jafar sort of stripping away all of uh, Aladdin's finery in front of Jasmine, and you know can't help to, to to make the connection. You know this is a guy who's you know losing his vision and his ability to walk and that sort of thing is as AIDS ravages his body, and it's hard not to make the connection there but um in the end um the best they could do is that they had a reprise of uh prince ali that they they gave to jonathan uh but yeah that that there was all of this pressure to do villain songs and uh so of course you know we did get the very next year night before christmas and we got the wonderful you know oogie boogie man with ken page um and then um, <laughs> then we enter an interesting time for uh, Disney villain songs. Uh, 94, we get Be Prepared for uh, The Lion King, which um, everyone thought Jeremy Irons sang, but it was actually Jim Cummings uh and in effect i think jeremy irons actually thought he sang it as well i guess they they put him in a recording studio and let him do it and they, that's nice okay go get jim cummings um but
1: well yeah we've we've heard conflicting reports about that apparently jeremy irons blew out his voice during recording um but i think that the the i think the ratio <laughs> of how much jeremy irons sang versus how much jim sang yes. is uh Somewhat in contention, but I think that you and I can hear a lot more Jim no, in that
0: it, than Jeremy. Definitely, yeah. and and more to the point, be prepared. Was uh, you know, it, sort of like uh, what happened with Aladdin. Uh, you know, where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. It was like, oh, we need to change that. We go to the video, and you know, remember when the Lion King came out? There was a lot of brouhaha the summer. That it was actually in theaters for the moment in Be Prepared, where suddenly all the hyenas were marching in formation like Nazis. And it was like, yeah, we're going to reframe that shot with, for the video. But again, marching forward, you know, a Pocahontas uh, with David Ogden Steers, a uh, Ratcliffe character, and the mine, mine, mine number, uh, which ended... Somehow, with an atomic explosion. Do you remember the mushroom cloud at the end of that, uh, where it was like they just blew up dynamite, guys? I, I don't think they need a mushroom cloud. Um, and and then uh, we get to Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1996 with Hellfire, and uh I think you and I have talked on the show, Drew, about. The original animation of the the smoke version of Esmeralda, where it's like, okay, you know, that smoke person needs a bra. You know, go go back and reanimate that. Um, So, you know, at at this point, you know, three three films in a row having some issues with the villain songs is like maybe let's hold back on the villain songs. Uh, It wasn't till two thousand with uh this was when it was still called empire uh of the sun or empire in the sun um the uh film that would eventually become emperor's new groove they had that that snuff out the light number uh with earth the kit uh
1: what what a number what and thank god people have taken to it on online so much because we have all these versions yeah. of it on youtube yeah. that you can watch um it that is an amazing song. And I believe one of the reasons that was it Andreas Deja who quit when they redid it cuz he was he was doing Izuma he won in the original he version. Wants. Yeah, I believe there was a lot of sort of like uh gay coded stuff in Snuff Out the Light too that he was really keen on yeah. uh
0: keeping yeah, in there. Yeah. And uh you know and I'm blanking um the the one of the great gags of that number is Yzma as she's, she's conjuring in snuff out the light. She's accompanied by a trio of mummies that, um, Oh, it, it, what was it? One was called Mick after Mick Jagger. One was Lemmy. And what was the other, you know, the, the desiccated rock star that they paid tribute to. I'm blanking that. Uh, let me know. It was it, Bowie. But there Bowie we go. is, is the yeah. third one. Um, uh, you know, but, but uh, you know, the upside is uh, when Andreas walked away from that, didn't he? Go off to do Lilo and Stitch, you know. So yeah, yes. so it yeah. worked out. Uh, anyway, jumping to 2004. Now we get Home on the Range, and I love this number, uh, the Alameda Slim number in uh, Home on the Range. Z, yodel, 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 Lou. Uh I mean it it's beautifully animated it's got a really funny villain it's well staged um the rest of the movie is it could be better uh but but and at the same time it's kind of interesting that uh Randy Quaid is now doing a lot of the cons around the country and uh, as I understand it, he has one pile of photos that he'll sign from Independence Day and another pile of photos that he'll sign from, uh, Home on the Range. So, um, anyway, uh, jumping ahead five years now, uh, we get Princess and the Frog, which of course has the wonderful friend on the other side for Dr. Facilier. Uh, great, great vocals by, by, uh, Keith David. And it still kind of breaks my heart that um, the the version of Tiana's Bayou Adventure that we're now going to get, uh, they're not going to use the Are You Ready? Uh, from Friends on the Other Side for the Load Hill going up to uh, the old Splash Mountain dump down into uh, the the... the uh the laughing place into the, the briar patch, and uh you know this i I just I, I still remember the Imagineer who was walking me through that version of the ride and how excited they were about how they're gonna have the shadow creatures on either side and it says it's gonna be so much more scary than just those two animatronic vultures and now we're not gonna get that, so um. That really sucks. It, it does. But but at the same time, this is, you know, uh, we live in an age where it's like, you know, uh, do we want this entertaining or do we want this authentic? And I, 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 I guess that's my concern right now, is that so much of, uh, I, I don't know, for example, if you saw that um, 2020 uh, Disney 100 special, late last month, but they were talking about that the the tease at the very end of the show was uh, they showed the interior of um, (sighs) Tiana's Bayou Adventure, which, you know, when you're looking at it, it's like, I've seen something like that before. And that's the opening scenes um, in the Disneyland version of Pirates of the Caribbean, where you're out in the bayou. And it's like the decision of we're, we're going to do something that's that more impressive than that. And it's like, okay, that's great, guys. But, you know, I, I still want to ride, a, you know, a fun flume ride. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody goes to a theme park because it's like I really want to see something that's authentic. You know, I'm, I'm here to be entertained. Anyway, speaking yeah, right. of entertaining things. Um seriously folks, if you're not paying attention to Light Diffuse, the, the official Mission Impossible podcast, uh, that Drew does with uh, Charles Hood. Um, you are missing out on so many great behind the scenes stories, uh you know, and not just about the the Mission Impossible movies, but all of the other uh you know, movies that the filmmakers that that drew and charles sit down with um and and in fact just to pivot back to what you were talking about at the the top of the show uh you know with the warner brothers tour i mean uh, (laughs) this is the this is the warner brothers tour being offered during the holiday week when production is shut down right so but it was very funny how they tried to frame it they were like well
1: you know, we got onto the set of All American. That wouldn't have been possible if they were shooting. I don't. I have no idea what All American is, Jim. I think it's on the CW. Okay. Maybe like it was mm-hmm. just, yeah, there was nothing going on on the lot. It was very mm-hmm. funny.
0: I mean, but yeah. they, they again, they put you in a golf cart and they, they or a Pargo and run you around. You you get to roll down streets yeah. and that sort of thing, right? There.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, it's like, I don't know. I could have done the tour better (laughs) myself. It was a lot of anecdotes about friends, young Sheldon and all American. Mm. Whereas like, you know, I've actually been in the jungle set because they did a junket for a movie a few years ago called The Curse of La Llorona and they had the actual... Uh, you know, that water pit back there filled up. There was steam coming off of it. They did a ghost tour, a version of the backlot tour that was just about the creepy stuff that's happened on the Warner Brothers lot. So, you know, Jim, when we can do a better job than our tour guide, yeah, that's when, you know, it's, you're not wrong. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, anyways, uh, pivoting back to uh, light diffuse, so, what who have we got coming on the show this week? Well,
1: we're very excited because we have Paula Wagner coming on the show, oh. who is Tom Cruise's former uh, production, uh, you know, cohort, and they were the ones that were running MGM for a, a period, if you remember yeah. that. Um, wow! So, yeah, we got a, We've got a lot of great stories from her. Um, so, yeah, we were very excited to have her. She was really, really oh, great. Wow! So, I don't know. She's yeah. got to
0: have some killer stories. Can't wait. Okay. Um, and speaking. Of- killer stories. We do tell a few of those over here at, 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 Jim Hill media. Uh, you know, we of course have the Disney dish podcast. I do with, uh, Len Hesta. Uh, we have the, uh, looking at Lucasfilm. I do with Brian Gahn. In fact, just came across some amazing star tours related stories where, uh, <laughs> they, they, it's the Imagineer who did the C3PO, uh, animatronic for the first, uh, Star Tours attraction, which was an actual, uh, 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 literally a, 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 a costume that um, uh, I'm blanking his name now. The, the gentleman who does R2D2, Anthony Daniels, uh, had worn during the production mm. of the film. And he talked about how the box showed up at Imagineering and they went to pull the C3PO costume out and all of the sand came pouring out of the outfit, and they realized, man, they just packed up the costume from the set when they were shooting the the, the Jabba sail barge scenes in yeah. uh, Return of the Jedi. I mean, that this is literally something that we use in the films. But, uh, yeah, looking to do, uh, you know, we be talking that up. And... Um, Oh, and also uh, Disney Unpacked we now our fourth episode of our new video series the one that Len and I are doing with Jim Shule, uh, debuts today uh, January 1st and this one is about Mickey's birthday land at uh, the studios uh, or excuse me uh, the, the Magic Kingdom in Florida and <laughs> you know, again that thing got slapped together in 90 days there's so many great th- you know, stories about that but anyway uh let's see uh, now we always talk about social media at this point in the show and where are
1: we drew i'm still on x slash twitter i'm still on instagram uh, i have blue sky and threads but don't really use them very much but the handle for all of my social media stuff is drew tailored like a tailored shirt um and yeah Come see me. Come say hi.
0: And uh, myself, I'm on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Okay. uh, Two things as we head out the door here, folks. If you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could have an Apple podcast and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine tuning, but also light the fuse. That would be great. Uh, Also, uh, we are continuing to uh, raise money uh, to Aaron Adams' memory uh, over at GoFundMe. Uh, That's at tinyurl.com backslash Aaron Z Adams. Uh, want to thank everybody who's contributed so far. We have exceeded our goal wildly. And again, all money is raised. Go to Aaron's widow, Sabrina Geiger. And I guess that's going to do it for this week. So uh, on behalf of Mr. Taylor, thank you for listening. uh, And we will be back soon.